Welcome to Misty 101 podcast. We hope that you will enjoy this episode of our podcast. Gloucestershire man goes to hospital with WW2 shells stuck in bottom as bomb squad called. The bomb squad raced to our hospital A and D allegedly because a man had O2 anti-tank shell stuck in his rectum. They were called to give specialist support after the man presented to Gloucestershire Royal Hospital A&D with the 57mm shell in his behind reports the sun. The unidentified man reportedly claimed the inert bomb was his own and that he had slipped and fallen on it. A source told the newspaper, the guy said he found the shell when he was having a clear out of his stuff. He said he put it on the floor then he slipped and fell on it, and it went up his a asterisk asterisk e. Police said the shell had been removed before they attended the scene, reports the paper. Bomb squad officials were also apparently called. A second source reportedly said, it was basically an inert lump of metal, so there was no risk to life, at least not to anyone else's. Hospital officials also said that all relevant safety protocols were followed and that there was no risk to any other patients, visitors or staff at the hospital. The man is now said to be expected to make a full recovery from the unfortunate incident. Horse rider spotted ordering herself a meal at McDonald's drive-thru. A woman on horseback has been pictured ordering a meal at a McDonald's drive-thru in Wales. The bizarre incident occurred at the fast food chain outlet in Blackwood, carefully on Thursday. Simon White, 46, said he could not believe it as he snapped a series of photos which showed the woman waiting in line, paying at the first window and picking up her order at the collection point. The father of three said children rushed outside the restaurant to take photos and cheer and that the event made his son's day. The unknown rider, donning a mustard puffer jacket and riding boots, stayed on her white horse the entire time. She was seen queuing up in between cars with her purse in hand ready to pay. Mr. White said he later spotted the woman eating her burger after she had trotted off with her meal. The vehicle parts constructor didn't hesitate in sharing the photos on social media Thursday, writing, Well I've seen it all now only in the valleys. Speaking today, he said, I was on my way home from collecting my little one from school when we stopped by for something to eat. We were sitting there waiting for our food when she came round the corner. I couldn't believe it, the horse was very well behaved though and she got served no problem, before riding off. A few of the kids who were sitting inside came out to take pictures and cheer her as they thought it was great. She was served and rode off. Then I passed her on the road where she was eating the burger. My son loved it, it really made his day, he was laughing so much. I thought it was really funny as well, it's something you just can't imagine seeing unless you live in the Welsh valleys. His post has received hundreds of comments online. One said, I wonder what the brake power is on that, while another quipped, nay gherkins. Another said, probably just wants a chicken MC nay get meal, while one simply added, wow, awesome. Love this.
I'm Norwegian and think the Trafalgar Square Christmas tree is gorgeous, stop being so miserable. I've always loved London. I moved here years ago, studied here, live here, and have family here. But I grew up in Oslo, Norway. I spent my winters skiing in forests covered in snow and spent my afternoons having snowball fights with the neighbors' kids. And every Christmas, we'd have a real tree that my mother and I would wrestle home on the bus from one of hundreds of salesmen. And our trees had nothing on the Trafalgar Square tree. It's a gorgeous tall Norwegian spruce that looks like it was plucked from the middle of the Oslo forest. And it was, each year, there's a felling ceremony attended by the Lord Mayor of Westminster, the British Ambassador to Norway and the Mayor of Norway herself. The tree is then shipped off across the North Sea before it's stood proudly in Trafalgar Square. Or stood not so proudly waiting to have the mickey taken out of it by Londoners. My fellow Norwegians and I will see a tall, 60-year-old tree that looks just like the others that stand in the forests. It's magnificent, and the traditional Norwegian lights make it feel super Christmassy. But Londoners are quick to judge calling it flea-bitten and taking to Twitter to voice their disappointment. Have you all forgotten the reason why the tree is sent in the first place? It is out gift of thanks for your country helping ours during the horrors of World War II. It is a token of gratitude and a symbol of Britain's heroic acts. Would you yell at your nan if she gave you a necklace for Christmas that was the wrong color? And yes. The branches are fuller on one side. Give the tree a break, it was shipped across the sea during a storm that literally brought this country to a standstill. It's a miracle it arrived in one piece under those conditions. And besides, that's what happens with real trees. Unlike their plastic counterparts, real trees have deformities and they can break. And trees as old as the Trafalgar Square One are important to their environments. They are home to nests and birds and animals and chopping something like that down has to be worth it. As my mother said when we hotly debated this over the phone, think of the squirrels. If you'd rather mock the tree than appreciate it, maybe it's time we end this tradition and keep our trees to ourselves. After all, you won't appreciate a good thing till it's gone. I have enough money, George Clooney turns down $35 million for one day's work. The Hollywood actor said the offer was for him to star in an airline commercial, but after discussing it with his wife, he declined. In an interview with The Guardian, he was asked if he ever thought, you know what? I think I have enough money. He replied, well. Yeah. I was offered $35 million for one day's work for an airline commercial, but I talked to Amal about it and we decided it's not worth it. It was, associated with, a country that, although it's an ally, is questionable at times, and so I thought, well, if it takes a minute's sleep away from me, it's not worth it. In addition to his lucrative movie deals, the icon has reportedly earned more than £30 million by advertising Nespresso coffee and previously sold his tequila company Casamigos for $1 billion, £780 million. 
his net worth is estimated at $500 million, £377 million, according to the Celebrity Net Worth website, and he was named the world's highest paid actor in 2018. Clooney, who turned 60 in May married Omel in 2014 and they have two four-year-old children, twins Ella and Alexander. Speaking about childcare, he said they only have a nanny four days a week because it's so important to Amal to be involved. He told the newspaper, and during lockdown it was just us, for a full year. I felt like my mother in 1964 doing dishes and six loads of laundry a day. He said he and Amal gave their children normal names to give them a head start, deciding that their lives would be unusual enough already. The star has directed a new film, The Tender Bar, released this month, and is about a boy who looks for father figures at his uncle's bar. Based on a book of the same name by Junior Moringer, the movie stars Ben Affleck as bar owner Charlie and Ty Sheridan as his nephew JR. It premiered in the UK in October at the London Film Festival, where Clooney said it had been a welcome change from the types of films he usually works on. Most of the films I do are pretty dark and this one felt light, and it felt like the world was pretty dark so I wanted to work on something that was a little lighter, you know he said. Archaeologists stunned by ancient human practice of raising deadly birds, could kill you. The Stone Age began about 2.6 million years ago. This is the point that ancient humans began using stone tools or at least that's what the evidence suggests. The period was a lengthy and formative one for the world's ancestors, and lasted until about 3330 BC. It was after this point that the Bronze Age began, and slowly, surely, modernity crept up on the horizon. While we know a significant amount about ancient humans, it is difficult, often impossible to gauge minute details about their everyday lives. However, a new study broke down these boundaries and offered a rare insight into the way we used to live, after researchers found that humans in New Guinea, up to 18,000 years ago, were hatching cassowary chicks and could have raised them well into adulthood. It suggests that chickens may not in fact have been the first domesticated birds. Cassowaries are big flightless birds native to Australia, Aru Islands and New Guinea. The three species of cassowaries make up three of the top ten largest birds in the world. The team's study was explored in BBC Science Focus magazine, where Christina Douglas, assistant professor of anthropology and African studies at Penn State, told the publication how dangerous the cassowary can be and that the ancient humans who raised them could have been killed. She said, this is not some small fowl, it is a huge, ornery, flightless bird that can eviscerate you. Most likely the dwarf variety that weighs 20 kg. Even today, the chicks are still traded as a commodity, and will easily imprint on humans. If the first thing a chick sees is a human, it will follow them around as though they were its mother. The researchers studied eggshells from between 18,000 and 6,000 years ago to determine how old the embryos inside them were when they were cracked. 
Since chicks get calcium from their eggshells, the team was able to study how pits developed on the inside to establish how developed they were. Omicron warning as more than half of UK cases found in double vaccinated. The latest analysis shows of total number of these cases confirmed in England by 30 November 2012 were more than 14 days after receiving at least two doses of vaccine. Two cases were more than 28 days after receiving a first dose of a vaccine. Six were unvaccinated, while the remaining two had no available information. None of the people who tested positive for Omicron are known to be hospitalized. But the HSA said most of the cases have a specimen date that is very recent and that there is a lag between onset of infection and hospitalization and death. UK health officials have confirmed they are investigating a sharp rise in the number of COVID test results that have a tray associated with the newly identified Omicron variant. One of its mutations produces S-gene target failure, SGTF, in about half the PCR tests in use throughout the country. This allows the variant to be distinguished from the Delta variant and provides insight over the spread of Omicron before full genomic sequencing occurs. But despite this, SGTF is also associated with other variants, including Alpha. The HSA said. The proportion of test results displaying SGTF has been very low in recent months but an increase has been observed in the past week. This is still a very small number of cases but is being investigated carefully to understand whether it is related to travel, any other variant or whether there is evidence of spread of Omicron beginning in the community. Fears of another storm as explosive gale force winds approach the UK. BBC meteorologist Chris Fawkes warned that an explosively developing area of low pressure could unleash havoc across the UK next week. He told BBC Breakfast viewers that the area of low pressure will get very strong as very windy weather, definitely gale force lashes the country. This comes as Jim Dale, a senior meteorologist at British Weather Services warned that this weather front could turn into the UK's second named storm in less than 10 days following storm Erwin. Parts of the country are still reeling from the impact of Erwin, with thousands of homes set to be without power until Wednesday, 12 days after the storm struck. Mr Fawkes warned, into next week we have a rapidly deepening low pressure. This is an explosively developing low. It will get very strong. Through the week this will bring out breaks of rain, definitely gales, and we could have some very windy weather indeed blowing our way as we head into Tuesday. Mr Dale suggested that the storm, while likely to be short-lived, would bring another raft of snow-heavy rain, cold air, and frost. Before the strong winds hit the country, Mr Fawkes told BBC viewers that the weekend forecast will be a washout for many but with some patches of sunshine. He said, this time last weekend we were waking up to the damage wrought by storm Erwin. I'm pleased to say, although low pressure is in charge today, it is not going to chaos any problems. Today we have a cold northwesterly wind extending in across all parts of the country. 
for many of us this morning we are starting off with some wet weather as well. It will brighten up in the afternoon for southern England but I'm afraid it is rain for most of the day for parts of Scotland. Mr. Fawkes explained, with mountain snow in the highlands, you might get a few centimetres. Overnight, our band of rain becomes very slow moving so the rain will be reluctant to clear off from these eastern areas of England. He added that Sunday sees the winds change direction which will see a grey and damp kind of day for eastern areas of the country. However, the BBC weather presenter said on Sunday, western areas will get the best of the weather, seeing some sunshine and just an isolated shower here or there. ITV tipping point viewers enraged by a asterisk 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 prize given to contestant which Ben Shepherd tried to hype up. Tipping Point viewers were enraged by a mystery prize one contestant won in this afternoon's episode, December the 3rd. The contestants were Suzanne, GP receptionist from Port Talbot, Bill, retired civil servant from the Wirral, Chloe, legal advisor, from Gloucestershire and Dreyi, professional DJ from Wakefield. In round one, Ben asked, in Britain's Got Talent, the golden buzzer can be pressed by any of the judges or by which duo. Chloe answered correctly with Ant and December. She then decided to pass the first counter to Bill, who went for drop zone one. Three counters fell over the first edge, but nothing fell into the tipping point. Ben's next question was, Neil Robertson, Ken Doherty and Graham Dot have all been world champion in which Q sport? Before he could even finish the question, Bill got it right by answering snooker. He opted for the drop himself, going for drop zone one again, which won him the mystery prize as well as five counters amounting to £250. The mystery prize was a set of immersive noise-cancelling wireless headphones, to which Bill said, Thank you very much. The host said, Dre, you're a DJ. They sound great, don't they? To which Dre I quietly said, Yeah, they do. Ben then jokes, Bill, you'll be DJing too before long. Viewers weren't fooled by Ben's charm though, outraged by the quality of the prize. One said on Twitter, Do what a s asterisk 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 pair headphones Ben hype in M says all you need tie no. Another wrote, Headphones. Oh just f asterisk 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 off ITV. A third tweeted, noise cancelling headphones. F asterisk 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 hell. While a fourth sarcastically put, wow a pair of headphones. It's fair to say viewers of the show were far from impressed by today's mystery prize. Indonesia Mount Simayu volcano erupts as locals filmed fleeing 40,000 feet cloud of ash. A volcanic eruption in Indonesia has sent smoke and ash flying 40,000 feet in the air and has triggered panic on the island of Java. Videos shared on social media show locals fleeing from the huge plume as ash falls from the sky. Around 2.50 p.m. on Saturday, Mount Simayu erupted in Liumajang City. Thus far, no casualties have been reported but evacuation operations are ongoing. 
a resident living in a nearby village posted a photo of the eruption on social media, writing, Friends, please pray for me, I hope my family is fine, just now, it's really bursting. The region was also plunged into darkness as ash clouds became so dense that all sunlight was blocked. Alumajung district head Tharikal Hak told TV1, thick columns of ash have turned several villages to darkness. He added that a bridge connecting Lumajung with the nearby city of Malang had been destroyed by the combined effects of the eruption, a thunderstorm and heavy rains. The Volcanic Ash Advisory Center issued a warning after the plume of smoke and ash rose an estimated 40,000 feet in the air, and began raining down on residents below. Magma Indonesia, an information service reporting on volcanoes, earthquakes and tsunamis said that the eruption had been recorded on a seismograph with a maximum amplitude of 25 mm and a duration of 5,160 seconds. The Center for Volcanology and Geological Hazard Mitigation added that incandescent lava avalanches had been observed, sliding 500 to 800 meters down the volcano. Beauty Santosa, the head of the Regional Disaster Management Agency, said in a statement, there has been an increase in the activity of Mount Simu accompanied by hot ash clouds falling. He explained that the falling ash was witnessed across Alumajung, Sumbaula village, Kandapuro district, Supiturang and Pranojiwo, and said that residents were asked to evacuate these areas. He added that no casualties had been reported, but said that data collection was ongoing as the East Java and Lumajung Disaster Management Agencies were on site to conduct a full assessment and assist with the evacuation efforts. Mount Simayu is the tallest mountain on the island of Java, and is among Indonesia's 130 active volcanoes. Since 1818, it has erupted at least 55 times, 10 of which resulted in fatalities. A huge explosion heard near Iran's Natanz nuclear facility. A huge explosion heard near a nuclear facility in Iran on Saturday was part of a military exercise, the regime has confirmed. The blast was heard in the skies over the Iranian city of Badraud, just 20 kilometers, 12 miles, from the Natanz nuclear plant, the official Erna news agency reported. Spokesman of the Iranian army, General Amir Tariq Hani, confirmed it was part of a missile test and told state television there was no cause for concern. An hour ago, one of our missile systems in the region was tested to assess the state of readiness on the ground, and there is nothing to fear the commander said. It came after earlier reports suggested an unidentified drone had been shot out of the sky. Badraud residents heard the noise and saw a light which showed an object had just blown up in the skies over the city a witness told Erna. But according to Iran's state TV, the Islamic Republic was testing its air defense system's rapid reaction force. The explosion was caused by a missile as part of a drill to test how quickly it could respond to an attack. It comes after Israel has said repeatedly that it stands ready to use all means, including force, to prevent Iran acquiring a nuclear weapons capability.
In response, Iran has carried out periodic exercises to improve the defenses around its nuclear sites. To evaluate the systems based in the region, such exercises are carried out in a completely secure environment and in full coordination with the Integrated Defense Network Commander Tariq Hani added. Israel has been pushing hard for world powers to abandon talks with Iran on reviving a 2015 nuclear deal, which reopened in Vienna on Monday. A bad deal, which I hope they do not reach, is intolerable from our perspective the head of Israel's Mossad external intelligence agency, David Barnier, said Thursday. The United States warned Saturday that it would not allow Iran to slow-walk international negotiations over its nuclear program, a day after heaping blame on Tehran for the stalled process. We can't accept a situation in which Iran accelerates its nuclear program and slow-walks its nuclear diplomacy said a senior administration official. The official said the United States was not yet planning to walk away from the talks but that it hoped Iran would return with a serious attitude. The Natanz facility has been the target of at least two attacks in the past two years. Iranian officials blamed Israel for an explosion in April which caused extensive damage at the site. There have been around five explosions at the site in recent years, according to Faradun Abbasi Darvani, former head of Iran's atomic energy organization. Google Maps Sleuths Spot Nazi House at Berlin Airport Google Maps provides some extraordinary sights and now, people are convinced they've spotted an old Nazi house at a major Berlin airport. Reddit users were stunned after one person shared their discovery of a building randomly located at Berlin Schoenfeld. In hopes of getting answers, they quizzed was browsing Google Maps and seen this in Berlin Schoenfeld Airport. Is this a house? Instead, people headed to the post equipped with spiraling theories. Could be an old administration forward slash barracks building from WW2 for the Luftwaffe. I saw a similar designed building on airfield at Flugplatz Katerbach forward slash Ansbach now repurposed for administration and a canteen once suggested. Its weird situation smack in the middle of the old airport makes me think that this was a country estate manor way back when and the land was appropriated for the airport in the 30s another mused. A user claiming to be a past employee at Berlin Schoenfeld recalls being approached about the house. Someone told me it was used as a police station. Indeed I remember seeing some police vehicles around, and parked there. Really fascinating one said. It's not labelled at all on any of the new Brandenburg airport maps, that absorbed Schonefeld, dot. The house prompted others to go on a quest to try and solve the mystery but was left disappointed. All I can find is that this whole area of the old concourse area is now marked as government use, they said. While another claimed it was the General's Hotel and they were correct. Berlin Schoenfeld Airport told Indy 100, the General Chatel is located on the edge of the airport area, not in the middle of the runway as theorized. It belonged to the former Schoenfeld Airport, which is now part of the new airport BER. 
The house in question was built after the end of the Second World War between 1947 and 1949. It was initially used to house senior officers, generals, of the Soviet Army, hence the name they said. The Soviet Army had used Schoenfeld Airport after the war. A spokesperson described the house to be lavishly decorated with marble, travertine, limestone, fabric wallpaper, partially colored coffered ceilings and equipped with chandeliers. In 1961, the house fell into the possession of the GDR after the airfield was converted into a civil airport. Government flights were then handled via this building and high GDR politicians prepared for their departures there in a dignified atmosphere they explained, adding that high state guests of the GDR also used the hotel. After the wall came down, the building initially stood empty, and now the federal police have moved in and still use it. COVID pill to be rolled out before Christmas the first at-home treatment for COVID is to be offered to patients by Christmas as ministers roll out the antiviral pill to help protect the most vulnerable from the Omicron variant. Sajid Javid, the health secretary, is preparing to announce the start of a national pilot of large Vrio, also known as Monupiravi the game-changing pill that Britain became the first country to license last month. Under the plans, the NHS is expected to deliver courses of the tablet to clinically vulnerable and immunodepressed patients within as little as 48 hours of them testing positive for COVID. Hospital and GP leaders have been told the health service will be setting up a series of COVID medicines delivery units to help get the drug to patients as quickly as possible once they test positive. Last week, Local health chiefs received a letter setting out health service plans to facilitate the rollout. Whitehall sources said the deployment of antiviral treatments had become even more important in the face of the Omicron variant, which has prompted the government to extend the booster vaccine campaign to all adults. On Saturday, the Cabinet's COVID Operations Subcommittee decided to reinstate a requirement for fully vaccinated travellers to take pre-departure COVID tests before coming to the UK from 4am on Tuesday in a bid to slow down the spread of the variant. The move came despite Grant Shapps, the Transport Secretary, warning that such a move could kill off the travel sector again. Ministers were shown an analysis by the UK Health and Security Agency indicating that patients with Omicron may become infectious more quickly than those with Delta, increasing the likelihood of pre-departure testing identifying positive cases before they travel. The test requirement will also apply to children aged 12 and above. On Saturday night, Mr Javid said, We knew this winter would be challenging but the arrival of a new variant means we must further strengthen our defences. As our world-leading scientists continue to understand more about the Omicron variant, we are taking decisive action to protect public health and the progress of our COVID-19 vaccination programme. Ministers also added Nigeria to the travel red list after it emerged that Omicron was in the country in October. Under the plans to roll out large Vrio, when patients deemed high-risk test positive their local COVID medicines delivery unit will telephone to offer them the drug. 
Most are expected to be offered a course of tablets to take at home, although some will be given the drug intravenously in hospital. The rollout is intended to help prevent vulnerable patients becoming severely ill with COVID, avoiding hospital admissions. Britain has secured 480,000 courses of the drug, and ministers hope the national pilot will precede the routine rollout of antivirals to vulnerable patients. Last month, the Medicines and Healthcare Products Regulatory Agency, MHI, said large Vrio was safe and effective at reducing the risk of hospitalization and death among those with mild to moderate COVID who were at increased risk of it becoming severe. Mr. Javid hailed it as a game-changer for the most vulnerable and the immunosuppressed. It had previously been expected that the drug would be given to patients from next year, but Boris Johnson and Mr. Javid have come under pressure over the speed of the rollout of antivirals, with David Davis, the former cabinet minister, challenging the prime minister about it in the Commons last week. A Whitehall source described the rollout as even more important now as we face this variant, adding, vaccines are our first and best line of defence and will continue to be particularly the booster programme but this is another line of defence that we've got and we have got to work out how best to make use of it. As well as the 480,000 courses of large Vrio, the UK has ordered 250,000 courses of Ritonavi a drug produced by Pfizer that is usually used to treat HIV forward slash AIDS. However, Ritonavi has yet to receive MHIA approval. Large Vrio, produced by Rajabak Biotherapeutics and Merck Sharp and Dom, works by preventing the COVID virus from multiplying, keeping levels low in the body and reducing the severity of the disease. The MHIA said the drug should be taken as soon as possible following a positive COVID test and within the first five days of symptoms. Patients who will be eligible for it under the MHIA's ruling will have at least one risk factor for developing severe COVID including obesity, diabetes, heart disease or being over 60. An outline of the study issued by the Antivirals Task Force in the summer said it would examine the impact of treatments on clinically vulnerable patients who test positive for COVID, as well as some non-vulnerable household contacts of those who test positive. It is not clear whether non-vulnerable people will still be included in the pilot. The government appears to have downgraded the original ambition of the UK Antivirals Task Force set up by Mr Javid's predecessor, Matt Hancock, in April, from potentially offering treatments to all COVID patients to instead getting drugs to those deemed clinically vulnerable, including people with pre-existing medical conditions who cannot have a vaccine. As the Omicron variant continued to spread in the UK, government advisers suggested an extension of the current requirement to wear masks in shops and on public transport until the new year may now be inevitable. I suspect it may be extended, comma said one member of the SAGE Committee of Scientific Advisers. We do know that those restrictions work, and they can be used in a mass setting. Several cabinet ministers said they considered the current restrictions proportionate while ministers await the first data on the link between Omicron, hospitalizations and deaths. 
One senior minister warned that while they can cope with the mask-wearing requirement being extended beyond the initial three-week review mark later this month, continuing the new self-isolation requirement for vaccinated contacts of people with Omicron would meet some pushback in the absence of data justifying the decision. We thank you for your support and we will see you on our next episode of Misty 101 podcast.